G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Let's get our regular catch-up as we do on a Thursday. Ashley Saunders is the National Director of Family Voice Australia. Ashley Saunders, welcome back to 2020. Uh, Good morning, uh, Neil. It's great to be with you. And uh, on a day where some parts of the country are in drought, some are having damaging winds, it's great to be able to look at things from a Christian perspective. Uh, It certainly is. And, uh, you know, it's nice to talk about some of those issues about what's going on in various states and particularly New South Wales that's gripped by drought at this time, uh, but other places also around Australia. Uh, But, yes, on these big issues, there's so many big, big issues to talk about, Ashley Saunders. I wanted to tackle some with you today which will affect people perhaps in the Northern Territory and the ACT because the Senate will this month likely vote on whether to smooth the way for the Northern Territory and the ACT to legalise euthanasia. You've been monitoring this situation along. What are the developments that you can identify? Well, the developments are actually very concerning. Listeners may, may remember that uh, over a decade ago, while John Howard was the Prime Minister, during that period, the Northern Territory Parliament uh, enacted some euthanasia laws which caused such an uproar that the Commonwealth Parliament voted to override them. Uh, because the Northern Territory and the ACT are territories and not states, the Commonwealth Parliament has the right to overturn or override their legislation, and that's what was done over a decade ago in the interests of protecting vulnerable people. And yet the move this month in the Australian Parliament, it will start in the Senate uh, from the 14th to the 16th of August, uh, is an attempt to overturn the laws that overturned the Northern Territory laws, that is to smooth the way for the Northern Territory and for the ACT to introduce um, euthanasia or assisted suicide laws, which uh, I believe, and many of your listeners would believe, are very concerning developments. And, of course, the parliamentarians in our federal parliament, and we're talking about senators, as you say, initially, 14th to the 16th of August, they're going to be under intense pressure because this comes hot on the heels of what has happened in Victoria. So it's going to be very hard for them to say no, isn't it? Well, it is. The pressure to comply with um, all of the, the modern movements in social change, the pressure to not stand for principle, the pressure to cave in, the pressure not to stand for the sanctity of life, those pressures are enormous. And uh, I would urge uh, all your listeners to be in prayer for senators in particular, because that's where it's going to start, uh, and uh, to pray that they will have the courage to stand for life, and not only to stand for life, but in doing so, to actually stand in favour of what the experts, the medical experts, say. Um, Many of your listeners may not be aware that uh, medical societies and associations around the country 
have consistently been saying that euthanasia and voluntary assisted suicide laws that they're they're bad news and that and and that they shouldn't that Parliament shouldn't go in that direction. Uh, so the experts are saying uh, you need to provide more money at the end of life, but don't do it by failing to protect the vulnerable people and allowing them to to do something that they could be pressured into doing, to doing something that sends a message that says that older um, sick people are not valuable, um, something that sends a mixed message uh, to people about suicide. Ashley Saunders, there seems to be this sort of prevailing idea that doctors must be supporting this idea of euthanasia. Otherwise, the politicians wouldn't be voting or wouldn't be considering even uh, relaxing these laws for the Northern Territory and the ACT. But you're indicating that there's overwhelmingly uh, this evidence that doctors believe that it's a bad, bad idea. Uh, yes, uh, let me let me quote from the Australian Medical Association, the AMA's position, and, and it says this, quote, doctors should not be involved in interventions that have as their primary intention the ending of a person's life, unquote. That's the AMA official position, and indeed last year, 105 Australian palliative care specialists signed an open letter pleading with the Victorian government not to legalise euthanasia and assisted suicide. So the the medical association, the palliative care specialists, are unified saying this is a bad idea, you need to protect vulnerable people. You don't... The last thing you need to do is to change the nature of the doctor-patient relationship so that instead of doing whatever you can to save a life, you're changing that relationship so that doctors become agents of death. Now, we might be concerned about how we compare with other nations around the world because uh, while we are aware that there is euthanasia that happens in other nations, it's not as many as you might be led to believe if all you're listening to is some mainstream media with some left-leaning lobbyists and uh, politicians who are sprouting uh, that somehow or other we're behind the times if we don't have euthanasia. As I understand it, across the world, uh, most... Uh, medical associations reject this idea of of euthanasia. Uh, yes, that's right. So there's a, uh, a doctor in Western Australia by the name of Dr Lachlan Dungy, a lovely fellow who is very strong on medical ethics, and he says that across the world, 107 of the World Medical Association's 109 membership oppose euthanasia and assisted suicide. Let me say that again. Of 109 affiliated medical associations, 107 of them oppose euthanasia and assisted suicide laws. So, Ashley, as a listener to our conversation today, and people will no doubt appreciate that doctors don't like and think it is a bad idea to have assisted suicide euthanasia. Uh, If the Senate is going to be talking about that this month, 14th to the 16th of August, uh, what would you say uh, to listeners uh, is as to the sort of action they might take uh, to get in the ear of a senator that represents their state about what they ought to be listening to when they make these sorts of decisions? Uh, I would suggest three things. The first and the most important thing is prayer. Sometimes 
uh, even as Christians, we think that prayer is what you do when you can do nothing else. It always ought to be the first port of call, and I urge your listeners to pray. Secondly, I urge listeners to be in touch with the senators in their state, to go to the Parliament House website. You can find your senators, be in touch with your senators and let them know your concerns. The third thing is that there is a petition that can be signed, and uh, it's on a, a website called noeuthanasia.org.au, and I would encourage listeners to go to that website and to sign the petition. Okay, uh, let me just mention that website in case you missed it. It's noeuthanasia.org.au, and there is a petition there, an online petition that you can sign and uh, you can have your voice heard. Uh, Ashley, let's just move on to another issue that involves doctors. And this is one that we've begun to talk about on this program and aired it for the first time earlier this week, this idea of a doctor's code of conduct that is being introduced and not everyone's happy with it. Uh, no, they're not happy with it, and for good reason, because uh, it, it really is about, uh, in many ways, about forcing an LGBT worldview on doctors. Now, that might sound surprising to your listeners, and it ought to, uh, because uh, one of the things that, that, that the Code of Conduct, if introduced, says is that uh, doctors need to uh, uh, create safe places culturally. And, uh, and again, doctors point out that what is a safe place for the patient may not be to actually buy in to an LGBT worldview. And so the, the idea behind this code of conduct uh, is that uh, people are being encouraged, rather doctors would be forced to um, uh, create culturally safe places and especially to do that um, where LGBT issues are concerned. The way that these issues are just taking over um, uh, in Britain, uh, as we've spoken about before, when you talk about British values, that's code for LGBT values. And when you hear in the context of this thing, culturally safe places, what you need to hear, uh, or your listeners need to hear, is that safe places according to an LGBT worldview. Can you imagine the uproar if anybody suggested that doctors or anybody else needed to buy into a Christian worldview? And yet there is coercion through this code of conduct, if it's introduced, for doctors to have to buy into an LGBT worldview. Well, when you talk about creating a culturally safe space, and that means that the medical expertise of the doctor takes second place to a political motivation of an LGBT agenda, we can see the contradiction, we can see the problem with that. I wonder why people who are suggesting these things can't see that contradiction. What are your thoughts about you know people framing these types of ideas? Is the agenda of the LGBT, Ashley Saunders, do you think that is driving these sorts of initiatives about codes of conduct? Oh, yes, the, 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 the LGBT agenda is to ensure that issues that they hold dear to their hearts are embedded at every level of society and every structure uh, of our systems. And uh, this is part of that agenda. And not only that, but, um, but part of the draft code not only deals with the relationship between a patient and a doctor um, in the surgery, 
But part of the draft code even says that a doctor needs to acknowledge and consider the effect of comments and actions outside of work, including online. And so in an, uh, you, you could argue that the, the medical profession through this code of conduct, uh, that the medical board is trying to become a censorship board so that you don't only need to ensure that your relationship is right and proper, and all of us would argue for that, between a doctor and the patient in the surgery, but they're even looking at what doctors do outside of the surgery, what they post online. I mean, how ridiculous that the Fort Police should come um, in and see that doctors, um, in, even in what they do online, on their social posts and all the rest of it, that, that somehow or other, you know, we're, we're watching you. Big Brother's watching you to make sure that you toe the line. Interestingly, I'm aware of the commentary that's coming from some critics of this code of conduct, Ashley Saunders, uh, who suggests that this is so, so serious that the future of medicine is in fact at stake. What are your thoughts on just how serious this code of conduct issue is? Well, that's certainly the view of uh, some doctors and I believe that they have rights and legitimacy in thinking that. And one of the things that, that, that is coming across is that advances in medic medicine haven't been achieved by doctors towing the official line, but advances in medicine have actually come when doctors have questioned the official line. You know, at a time when um, someone noticed that washing hands um, when you're involved in surgery was reducing the mortality rates, uh, the, the, the official line was that's a load of nonsense but we now know that washing hands not only prevents disease but can save lives there was a time when eugenics the idea of social uh, of breeding people um, and breeding diseases out there was a time when that was um, the prevailing worldview but again as people bucked against that as i went against that flow as they tested that uh, as they said i'm not sure that that's right that's how we get advances in medicine, not by just towing the line. And, uh, and again, um, in terms of the, 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 the T aspect of the LGBT agenda, uh, we need to recognise that science, medical science indicates that the vast majority of gender-confused children will work their way through those issues through puberty. Um, and so... But, but the, the modern prevailing wisdom says give them puberty blockers, give them medication, give radical surgery rather than saying let's, let, let's buck that trend, let's see what science says, let's see what the research says. So we're in a position where it looks as though the medical board is becoming, as you say, a censorship board and that being borne out even before there is any sort of rubber stamp on this code of conduct, because in my understanding, uh, the Toowoomba doctor, Dr. David Van Gend, he's in trouble uh, with the medical boards uh, because he retweeted uh, something that was quite controversial. Yeah, let's, let's say that again for the benefit of your listeners, that the thing that Dr. Van Gend did that uh, he's now being... Uh, taken before the board in response to a complaint, he retweeted um, two tweets. One was uh, in respect of the book, um, When Harry Became Sally, uh, 
and the second was simply a retweet of a column of um, a, a well-known Australian columnist, Miranda Devine, uh, where she was critical of gender fluidity classes in schools and she titled that one same-sex marriage has led exactly where we warned it would so all dr van gend did as i understand the situation is without further comment without adding to anything or subtracting from it he simply retweeted a, t a post from lyle shelton and a post from miranda divine and that three months after the event has led him to have to face a complaint by the medical board well, Ashley Saunders, as usual, very, very insightful into those things that are shaping our culture, shaping the politics of the nation. And I know that listeners will be very intent uh, on learning a little more. And I know that there are some posts that you have on the uh, Family Voice Australia website. If I point to the Family Voice Australia website, fava.org, au.org.au, fava.org.au, uh, people might be able to uh, look at those things a little more deeply. Uh, Ashley, uh, thank you so much for taking some time once again today to share your thoughts with listeners. Ashley Saunders, the National Director of Family Voice Australia. Ashley, thanks for joining us once again on 2020. Uh, thank you and good morning, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.